2-1. You're listening to 101.5 UMFM. This is 393, the radio program of Studio 393. Bring to you a few episodes that will have a tinge of uh, the Black History Month that is being celebrated. We are going to bring to you in this episode interviews with two groups uh, that are pretty much cornerstones of the Winnipeg rap movement. One of them is fronted by a Guyanese born Winnipeg raised broadcaster, actor, as well as uh, producer and rapper. Uh, his name is Odaria Williams. He hosts a show on CBC. It's entitled After Dark. He fronted a group called Mood Rough, which came out in the early 90s to mid 90s. It was Odaria Williams, as well as Eli, aka Spitz, and Oldfield Williams, the DJ. Uh, they were on Peanuts and Corn and then started off their own label entitled Slow Coach. Which brings us to our second interview in this episode, which is with Shades. The interview that's recorded with Shades was done about five years ago for Witch Police Radio. You get to hear half of it. Uh, Shades consist of Scotch Unorthodox, a.k.a. Len Bowen now, who has a few songs out there right now still going, as well as Casino and Eclipse or Bad Manners, Emerson, whatever you want to call them. But first, let's get into some Mood Rough. And then there's an interview with Grand Analog, which is the group that Odaria Williams has been fronting for the last 10 or so years. All right, this is 101.5 UMFM. This is 393. Beats, beats, beats by the pound, the type of beat hit you think James Brown. Baby. 
beats, beats for days. Type of beat that will nod your head sideways. Type of beat that will nod your head sideways. Soldier before Terry, your motors when every verse was explosive before came candy coated. I'm talking South Bronx, history made through music by the people that the people relate to. Feel great to know that across the globe, millions like me, same obstacle, ambition and goal with a traditional soul. Two tables and a mic with a toxic flow. Work ethic like a Nat King or Curtis Blow. That feeling for a show when you made that dough. Yo, you can't kill that buzz. That's why I sit back, think about these things I love. I love life. Life, life is life for mine, my friends, my family, my girl, my rhymes, I love life, life, and I live in my way, type of life to make others turn their heads sideways. Study. 
I had to kill a cat with curiosity. After we lay, search her eyes real deep. She said, why so bad you want to be an MC? Well, frankly, I'm concerned you're asking. Popped out of bed and I slipped my pants on. Grabbed my bag, I'm quickly out the building. Cause if I told her, I'd have had to kill her. Cause, well, mm, mm, not really. I remember the days when I was walking and talking. Doing what we want to do. Doing what we got to do. Just do it, do it. This is 101.5 UMFM. You just heard some tracks by Mood Ruff, one of the cornerstones of Winnipeg rap. We're going to get into an interview with Grand Analog, which was also fronted by Odaria Williams. Uh, they decided to stop by for Wall to Wall, which is a festival that happens in Winnipeg, Manitoba. It was in the fall of 2018. Grand Analog consists of Odaria Williams, Ofield Williams, Warren Bray on the bass, TJ Garcia on vocals as well as drums, Aubrey McGee uh, the sax as well as Alistair Johnson on the keys and on production as well. Uh, it's a good group and uh, they went and spoke with the youth about anything from how they started off, how people could get started off, placements in advertising, uh, music production and where your soul goes and as well as the progression of things in the music industry in terms of diversity and representation. All right. You can listen to more of it on our SoundCloud account when that does come out. So for now, please enjoy the interview with Grant Analog. So he had a track that was very close to being used uh, in a Pepsi commercial. And actually, Odario rapped on it anyway. Yeah, because I wrapped they some wanted Pepsi vocals. shit on it. Well, it was like it was refresh the world. Yeah, we call it refresh, refresh the, the world. world. Yeah, like, so th- there's a was... way of thinking when you're trying to get this placed on a commercial because it's going to be aired. Uh, you know, Malcolm, what's up, sir? Very good. Thanks for coming through. So even my mindset, like, I loved the beat. So, but at the same time, if this gets landed on a commercial, it would be good for us. Well, if the ad agency takes it, we'll all make some, you know, some quick money. That, yeah. You know, okay, so, I remember you, listening to it going, okay, let's make this song. We'll call it Refresh the World. We'll send it to them. If Pepsi takes it, cool. It would be great for us. But if they don't take it, <laughs> I'm taking this beat because yeah. this beat is ridiculous. So, I had... Uh, two different brains going at the same time. I'm writing this Pepsi song, but I hope they don't take it, sort of, because if they don't take it, then I'm taking it. (laughs) So they didn't take it, so I'm like, perfect. We made a song called The Great Rhyme Dropper. I got uh, Shad to rap on it. Um, It was a really good track for us. And at the end of the day, a movie took the song. It's this movie called Low Rider that uh, Low came out. Yeah. Low Riders, yeah, 
came out last year in theaters. It didn't do very well. We're not even sure if it's good. We haven't seen it, but yeah, I didn't even watch but it. But we found a streaming link and watched the beginning because the song opens up the movie. Yeah. So, so this song that, that also we made. instrumentally as well. Yes. Yes. So it was pretty crazy. I'm like, this is something I made. This starting off a movie, you know. Yeah. But that could have been on a Pepsi commercial. That. Yeah. Yeah. So, at the end of the day, we ended up. Uh, it, you know, it, it found the perfect home for it. I mean, the man. Let's go. You're right about now. The great rhyme trouble. Right about now. It's the great rhyme trouble. Yeah, I drop rhymes from place to place. Anyhow, anyway, anyway. Right about now. The great rhyme trouble. Right about now. It's the great rhyme trouble. I drop rhymes from place to place. Rolling around with no cape on Just a fly button up thing I'm rappers back with aspirations I do the damn thing proper I ain't a rapper, I'm a great rhyme dropper A modern day Peter Benjamin Parker Never tie like Michelin, a true Skylocker It's gorgeous, I mess around and stay grounded I choose not to fly my man I get nauseous, charge your feet to set you free If you're looking for me, buzz apartment B Low key like a baritone rolling deep I keep banging on this beat so yeah. awesomely I walk to be when a thought gets tossed to me props to ga cats don't want the beef dog keep it unthawed you don't want the heat talk is cheap and you racking up a lot of seat you can't cash it dame say the man dashing the pan african fam to make the jam classic these other rappers out too damn plastic meanwhile my freestyle too fantastic yo what's with the fruity loops toucan rapping and every crew thinking that they wu-tang shad's in the new lane passing trans and blasting the handsome tandem analog backing right about now the great rhyme truck right about now it's a great rhyme trouble yeah i drive rhymes from place to place anyhow anyway anyway right about now the great rhyme trouble right about now it's a great rhyme trouble i drive rhymes from place to place yeah anyhow anyway anyway No disguise, a vigilante on the rise. This heat will chill you like an Indian chai. No compromise, it's hip hop. We capitalize on hard times. In fact, it's humble that I point this out. I'm in the house, living in affordable brackets. And if these little itty bitty rappers attack us, I chew them up as small and commits like tapas. For practice, leisure, be a leader. First, you'll have to walk a mile in my Adidas. Ooh, it's like that, and now we do it like this. Like this. I rock your block like Kung Fu yeah. flicks. And you won't come to when a one-two hits. Ooh. Hard enough to punch through bricks know how to rap this sun sue out of war harder core carnivore funk music it don't end y'all we end y'all always all in when a friend calls couple black ken dolls with 10 balls right into my ballpoint pens ball no ink to scrawl no thing at all now you got me cocking that non-conscious rap all pompous when i'm on the track well it's your boy shad signing off no final thoughts just another great run the drop right about now the great rhyme trouble right about now it's a great rhyme trouble yeah i drop rhymes from place to place Anyhow, anyway, anyway, right about now. The great rhyme trouble, right about now. It's the great rhyme trouble. I drop rhymes from place to place. Anyhow, anyway, anyway. This is a throwdown. Hell no, I can't slow down. I keep it cerebellum from a regular program. There ain't no telling. A funky foreground. GA and Shad, we get down. Hold up. 
dare you ask such a question? <laughs> <laughs> okay, in, in interviews. <laughs> um, well, um, so Alistair, who's not here, he doesn't tour anymore. Uh, he's an original member. Um, and that's another thing. That's a whole other thing. But at that time, touring was important to me. So we, we hit the road. Even if there's five people coming, we hit the, drove all the way to Thunder Bay to play for those five people, and then drove to Toronto, then drove to Montreal, drove to Halifax. We drove all over the place. Uh, and I drove Alistair crazy. He just couldn't tour anymore, uh, and he wanted to just stay in the lab and work on the music. He's our major producer, so our last record, he produced most of it. He likes mm -hmm. to stay in the lab. Yeah, he did. He didn't want to hit the road. He didn't want to be in Germany somewhere in a little hotel getting ready to play for, you know, 50 people. He wanted to just be at home in the lab. So we had a good convo. He decided to stay home. But when him and I created the band, we told ourselves that the majority of the equipment that we were going to use is going to be analog gear. Uh, and we stuck to that. We recorded to tape, to reel-to-reel -reel tape. Uh, we used a lot of old vintage gear from the 70s. Uh, we always had to get it repaired because it was always breaking down. But we just thought we'd stick to... Hello, Dion. We just, uh, we just thought we'd you know, st stick, stick to what we're, we're doing. Uh, obviously, uh, it ended up getting mixed in Pro Tools. We're not going to fully be analog, but it was... Um, it's difficult to, and it costs a lot of money to. Yeah, but, but that was our thing. That was our thing. And I just... Just the grand before it just flowed nicely. Yeah. This grand analog just had a nice flow to it. Such a classic hip-hop thing, too. Yeah. And the grand thing, is grand being the, the, the writer, I, I always... Coming up with group names, MC names, you have to envision yourself saying it to a large crowd and introducing yourself. And not disliking it. And not disliking <laughs> You have to see it. You gotta see it on a big sign. You have to say, go in the mirror and go, what's up everybody, we're Grand Analog and it works. Uh, there was a, a, not to, anyway, I was reading the paper the other day and there's this new band out called uh, eat your grandma or something like that. And I remember thinking, that is a shitty name. Like imagine, then all the things I said you're supposed to do. So imagine a big thing going tonight, eat your grandma. Or hey, what's up everybody, we're eat your grandma. Thanks for coming. Or even like business stuff when you're calling, like yeah, there's some rooms out here. Oh, it should be under eat your grandma. Like, oh. It's going to do a lot of weird. You got to think way ahead. You got to, you have to see it when you're coming up with that name. So uh, I had a I had a booklet <laughs> yeah. of names. If it works for you, though, it works. If for it you. works it, for you, there's no standard with any of it. Really. Your grandma. Yeah. Yeah. it's my new favorite band. Yeah. Um, and Grand Analog, just uh, everything about it just worked for me. All the other ones on the booklet just wasn't. I can't remember some of the other names, but Grand Analog worked, and we had a reason. Okay, so for the people that uh, just showed up. Uh, we're members of Grand Analog. This is Warren, who is uh, our producer, bass player. Um, I'm Odario, MC, producer. This is Aubrey, 
sax player, producer. Um, over there is TJ, who will probably chime in a little later. Um, mainly, this session is just kind of to talk about our own personal paths. Like, everyone has a path. Uh, everyone's path is different. Um, but my main focus is that whatever you do creatively is basically your resume. Um, how you present yourself as a resume, um, what you do is your resume, how you're, you're perceived is your resume, and that basically is how uh, we all ended up with jobs. So we're, we're performers, we're artists, uh, but we also have jobs because we've got to pay the bills. Um, and we love our jobs, and we're very uh, grateful that our music and our creative endeavors had um, come together to make something work. Now, Warren's work is very interesting because he's constantly either making music or... Licensing music. Looking, researching music. Yeah. Uh, he works for a company that collects all types of music, so when a commercial needs a particular type of song, he has a library of it and can send that out to Dove or Pepsi or whatever. Agencies that represent certain clients. And yeah. yeah. There's so much shit we can talk about, so I'm going to try to squeeze all this in. Myself, I got my start here in Winnipeg. I used to go to the University of Winnipeg. I was uh, a poet and an MC. I used to put on little uh, shows in at the university. I went. I took creative writing because I just thought that I should. Um, from there, I started up my first hip hop group. It was called Mood Rough. It was out of here. Um, I used to roll around with with Pat back there. We at that time touring was important. Now this is another thing we could talk about. What's important to to for your first steps. So at that time, uh, touring was important. So what we did was I went and I bought a little car. It was a little piece of shit, little Chevette. And we would drive across the country because it was important to do that. And it was important to make a music video. So I saved up my money and I made a music video. And this was back when much music played videos and they actually played our video. So I thought, damn, I made it. So it was really cool. It was like, I mean, it was very cool to, to know that these little things were happening. But what's funny is that the music industry changes so quickly. And then videos weren't really that important anymore. Touring wasn't that important anymore. Uh, going viral was more important. And I just had to learn to keep up with the times. Uh, during all that, and during just uh, trying to stay alive, um, I started a new band called Grand Analog. I moved to Toronto. I will say this right now, moving, Toron moving to Toronto isn't the answer. And back in the day, I thought it was. But I'm just going to say this, Winnipeg is a very special place. Anyways, I moved to Toronto because that was part of my path. 
I ended up uh, starting Grand Analog. From there, I got, uh, I had to figure out how I'm gonna live and be an artist. Uh, I was DJing, I was doing voiceover work. Uh, the voiceover work spanned from taking theater at the University of Winnipeg. Um, I got myself an agent. I did a lot of auditions. Um, I ended up being uh, a voice on all kinds of uh, commercials and stuff. I was doing some acting work, not a lot. Um, the current voice of Tangerine, by the way. Yeah, yeah, I'm the voice of Tangerine <laughs> Bank. That's it. Voice of like Pan Am Games, also. The, I was yeah, the voice that was of true. Pan Am Games. Yeah. Um, anyways, uh, so right, I had my band, but what was important to me was keeping this band alive. And what was I going to do to keep this band alive? So I was doing everything else that was making me money. Uh, DJing around town, uh, doing these voiceover gigs, uh, and one day, and I was very, I was very, very vocal about being a Winnipeg MC in Toronto, and what had happened out of that was that um, I got a call from CBC, and they asked me to come in and do uh, a podcast about Winnipeg, because I was the only, I was so vocal about being about Winnipeg that I was the first person that came to mind when they wanted to do a podcast about Winnipeg. So I'm like, yeah, of course I'll come in and do it. So let's just say I did a, an incredible job that they also, they continued to call me back in to do more things. And that's what I mean about what you do is your resume. Because I was this MC in Toronto that just wanted to do my art. And I was sacrificing anything I can to do my art, but knowing that this art was going to lead me to something. So I did more work for CBC, uh, and what eventually happened is now i got my own show on CBC. I'm a, a host of the nighttime show uh, on CBC Music, CBC Radio 2 every night, and I still have Grand Analog, which is very important to me, and I still do voiceover work once in a while. I didn't know all this was going to end up this way. I just knew that what I'm doing is my resume. I've never written a resume down in my life. Okay, so you move from Winnipeg. You have a group uh, with your your brother and one of your friends, but then you decide that you move to Toronto and you're going to assemble a band. Yeah. So for some people in here, just the collaborative process and understanding that, how did you go through finding out, finding people that you wanted to play with? And um, yeah, how did how do you seek those pieces out, basically? Good old intuition. Also, uh, Odario and I worked together at a HMV when they were still alive. So um, that's how we met, really. Yeah, when I moved to Toronto, HMV was my first job. I used to work at HMV when it was in Portage Place. And like I said, I never written down a resume in my life. I went to HMV when I moved to Toronto. I went to the Toronto HMV and I said, I, I used to work at HMV in Winnipeg. You can call them and ask. And he's like, yeah, all right. <laughs> and he called and he's like, I got this kid here, Odario. Oh, yeah, he's so great. Oh, 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 oh. Should hire him. Okay, good. That's all I need to know. Thanks. 
yeah, could you start on Friday? I'm like, yes! <laughs> so I got the job, uh, and then met this fine fellow. Well, and I ended up as there, there as well because I thought, same, similar to Odero, all I want to do in life is music. Since I was a kid growing up with records, reading liner notes of everything, what came out on what label, who played on what, and just figuring out the details of everything, how it all works, kind of, I'm like, okay, well, that's what I want to do. Uh, and, you know, rather than working in a, going to work in a hospital or something like that, I got a few jobs at clothing stores that, you know, I just didn't like, never stayed long. And then eventually, okay, well, I'll get a job at a record store because it's music. It's what I want to do, so it's at least semi-related. And then that led to meeting Odario. Yeah. And then even later from there, it became, oh, okay, what can I do that's sort of a step up? And I worked at a Long & McQuaid that sells all the gear and stuff, right? So, okay, that's another step up. And then a few people that I met there while playing in bands and DJing as well uh, made connections for me to meet people at Pirate, where I now work, which is a production studio for commercials and all this stuff. So it's kind of like I've been there for seven years. It's the longest job I've had, and it's kind of like all of these things led me there because I wanted to do music and simultaneously still doing my own music so yeah and then yeah so me and this guy I was ordering a lot of stuff yeah he'd be receiving just, and sure enough what there was like yo you like these guys too yeah like it, all these we kind of conversations working. we didn't work <laughs> we stood around we didn't do anything in there. but we talked a lot about joining a band together and uh at the time, I was scrapping around in a local studio, and uh, one of the guys there that had a room, I befriended him. Uh, we started this idea with Grand Analog. We thought we needed some more pieces. I said, you know what? I work at H&B with an, an awesome bass player. He came into the picture. We vibed. It was like a quick vibe right away. Warren had known TJ, the drummer, since like high school days. Yeah. It was a very easy transition. They're all from Scarborough. I was playing in a funk band with Aubrey at the time. We were yeah. doing like funk covers, wearing suits and stuff. <laughs> we got like nice gigs from yeah. it. And, and to, to be honest, like in the beginning, I was just a fan of the group. Like, like I would, you know, watch their music videos and interviews and all that kind of stuff. Just like, oh, where are they playing? Where are they playing? Like. Yes, I wanted to be in the band, but I didn't necessarily know how to go about that. Um, but what happened was I was—I just kept being around, and then you know, at first it's, "Hey, can you record sax on this one thing? Hey, can you record sax on this another thing?" And because everybody produces, then suddenly multiple people in the band are reaching, "Hey, can you record this?" And then, yeah, I was, I was already gonna go to the like CD release party, and then you know, I'm like telling my friends, "We have to go see this group. We have to go see this group." And then they call me like, "Hey, do you want to play the show with us?" And so. You know, I kind of laughed about it and said, yeah. And then slowly but surely, you know, I just started doing more shows with them. Because um, at this at this point, it's like the band's already fully realized, right? Like, it's two albums yeah. have come out. You guys have already started touring and stuff like that. Well, um, three, technically. Yeah. So what's guess, interesting... Yeah. I guess, yeah, yeah technically. What do you guys, like, collaborative approach with you guys? Well, I guess producers, so how do you guys kind of have a workflow that works together? Do you all have different ideas? Or you, you work, do you guys work on the same platform? Usually. Or? Actually, like Alistair and Aubrey and I all use Logic. Um, yeah, it usually just comes from, hey, I have an idea. I'll email it to the guys. What do you think? Yeah. Sometimes it doesn't get noticed. Sometimes with Dario goes, whoa, that one. Let's do that, you know? And then we, we build on it. Uh, just because everybody also produces. 
sometimes we get brought in at different stages of the process. Right. So an example would be like, Warren could produce a song and then I'll come in and play sax on it. Or it could be in the early stages where he's tracking live bass and drums and I'll then do my sax part. So like, yeah, and then, you know. Or, or sometimes I'll just be there without my sax, kind of just giving my two cents. Um, and, or, and vice versa. Like, I would say because everyone wears a variety of hats, nobody is ever limited to a certain capacity in one hat or the other, which makes it easy because, once again, it's easy for a dare to be like, oh, that's the one I like, or that's the one I like, or, you know, let's wait and see where this goes, or, yeah. or even so something that's happened, you know, just because we're, we play a lot, or I've been playing more, is we'll think we have a song done, but we haven't put it out yet, and then we'll spend the summer playing it, and then after the summer, we'll be like, hey, we started doing all these cool things live with it, now we have to, to go back and change yeah, yeah. the song. Remake every time. So, every in, time. so now, I feel like we're, as we're working on this next record, we're entering this new creative process where it's substantially more fluid as far as here's the studio process, here's the performance, and I'm looking at it, you know, and even just because it's you know, the digital age, until it's done, it's, I look at it as it's, it's open to interpretation. Once you perform a song live, it changes the, the entire spectrum of the song. Oh. Yeah, no question. You can tell how the crowd reacts to it, and you might yeah. tweak stuff. I do it all the time, too. I yeah, yeah. I drums, but I don't like how it... Exactly. Right. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah, everything from the way you perform it to everything. It, it's, it, you know, that's why I try not to spend uh, all... Uh, the energy uh, mixing and mastering a song until we perform it yeah. at least once, and you really get a different feel of it. And then when you go back at the studio, you're just ready to now get into that song. Now you're ready to get into it. So do you write things after you guys have made the actual production, or is it a, do you have an idea for a song? Usually yeah. the idea and, and a bead or an yeah. idea, or like I, I write a lot for commercials as well uh, through my job. So I did this one where they referenced kind of uh, Rocky music, like with horns and sort of a funky backing. Um, and uh, I ended up doing this thing kind of um, like Daptone Records, if you guys have heard of it, but they have a group called Manahan Street Band. Uh, they're sort of like Sharon Jones' band doing their other side project thing. Anyway, because of that and everything, and I, I wrote this 30 second piece for the commercial. It didn't get picked, so I can use it for whatever I want at that point. And um, I just extended it about a minute and a half and called it uh, like, because they are called Manahan Street Band. I was like, well, what was my, the street I grew up on was Lionhead Trail. I called it Lionhead Trail, Lionhead Trail Band. You know, just as a, whatever. And I, I ended up playing it for this guy, or you came over one day to work on some other stuff. Yeah, yeah. And I was, I think I was listening to it. Yeah. You're like, what is that? What is that? Yeah. And anyway, yeah. because it was called that, like, it's on the Grand Analog record called Lionhead, and mm -hmm. it kind of informed Odario's lyrics and theme. So, yeah, because, yeah. Yeah. So I can come Time when I do it, survival and ruin on my own influence. 
foot Lion head movement At this very moment Heroes become human It's been a long, long time A long, long time Uh-huh Let's get free, baby Let's get free, y'all A toast to a new beginning I feel good about the skin I'm in It's been a long, long time A long, long time Uh-huh Yeah, we were on there for a bit, um, and uh, anyway, uh, they wanted to use a track, and at the same time, uh, I think it was uh, Beverly Hills, 90210, they wanted to use the same track at the same time, so I had to pull our tracks off the Kardashians list uh, in order for us to, to get on that. Uh, 90210 show but somehow we got solicited by some company in LA that said hey we just want some of your tracks to just be on file for the Kardashian show if we ever needed it um, the pay was really bad <laughs> Surprisingly. really bad yeah. Yeah. I mean but to me it was just a way to get our name out there 
I think that, I mean, they were going to, I don't know, what, 50 bucks a, a beat or something well, like that. Well, the interesting thing, too, with TV is that um, they pay you very little up front because you get residual royalties when it plays on TV. But that's usually only in the States, not in Canada so much. So it, it really depends. A lot of shows actually, you know, that's not true. But something that's maybe just U.S., for example, doesn't affect us as much. Um, but you can also end up writing something and, and accept uh, $200 for it and then make a few thousand or many thousands over five years. You uh, mentioned before that the Kardashians thing was like had really poor pay. How would you go about um, like valuing your own work in a marketplace that's so like diverse like something like this? Right. Well, I mean... There's a tier system in that too. Um, and these companies, especially the swanky LA ones, they know where you're at. They know, they know you're not Pharrell or, or Frank Ocean or whatever. So they will lowball you. But at the same time, there's a, there's a bit of a structure. Mm -hmm. I mean, I didn't have any room to go that guy, you know, as much as I go, well, 50, 50 or a hundred bucks, that's ridiculous. They, <laughs> she on the other side will be like, all right, well, I'll go somewhere else. But wait, 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 wait. <laughs> well, tell me more about it. It's very interesting. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, fine, put us on, put us on file. She goes, we don't pay any more. We don't go over a hundred bucks for a track. Uh, but you will. She gives you some bullshit about being uh, ex uh, exposure. But Kardashians don't tell you what got played on the show. There's no exposure. They just need music. And they want to find some suckers to do it. But what I would have to do is put it on my resume. I got our track on a Kardashian show. So then someone else will go, oh really? Okay, well let's hear what you got. So I, I would have to learn how to use it to my advantage. If they're taking advantage of me, I have to figure out how to use this to my advantage. So even though it didn't work out, because thankfully um, 90210, a bigger show, found the same song. And I, I got uh, my manager to call up those Kardashian people and tell them, look, we're good, thanks. You could get this. You could get the shit off the, the files now. We don't need it anymore because we got paid five times as much for that. So uh, it's also just an opportunity as well. Like, it's an opportunity. This person who's asking Odero, telling him she's only going to pay him fifty to hundred. That's not the only show she's working on. That's true. She could have a movie yeah. all of a sudden, or, or a, you, she switches companies. And you know, yeah, I remember this. That's this band. so and true. You were so great to work with. Uh, yeah, you don't want to. You don't want to chop it down because you don't like, you know, the term or whatever. You have to think about uh, how this can benefit you later. And it, things like that have benefited us a lot where, you know, Warren had made a really good point. You could be talking to an intern who just got a job. She is told to call you and tell you that she's going to give you 50 bucks for a beat. She's just doing her job. So, hey, you know what? Cool. I don't really like this, but we could see where this goes, whatever. That intern, and this has happened to us in the past, ended up getting a swanky job somewhere else 
and calls me like five years later with a really awesome opportunity. And that has happened before. So could you guys say that music and your craft has become your spiritual practice? Oh, essentially brought definitely. you to yourself and as you master yourself, everything yeah. is brought to Yeah, and, and also that's another mm-hmm. thing I would encourage too is like, as much as, you know, because like, as a sax player, the whole thing is like, if I don't play for the next three weeks, I'll be worse the next time I play. So there's very much like a spiritual side of like understanding, okay, what do I want to achieve as a musician? What does that mean? Because I'm more than just a sax player and how to understand my musical identity has also led to like just trying to be a better person. And then, and then even like, you know, taking that a step further and like looking at, you know, the type of people you work with, right? And not, not even just like, oh, I want to work with people of color, or I want to work with more women, or I want to make sure that, you know, I understand how to articulate or communicate to like the LGBT, LGBT community in a healthy way. So even though I'm not gay or whatever, but if there's anyone in my life that, you know, is a member of that community, they're not going to feel uncomfortable wanting to work or, or just be around me in a certain way. And then, yeah, and then, you know, and also in Toronto, pride is a huge thing. And even just where I live, like, it's kind of like, not the mountains where I live, it's on the Pascoe Village, so I get to see that part of town a lot. You start to realize as, you know, these type, you know, negative rhetorics are being broken down and a more inclusive world is kind of becoming normalized, you start to realize, okay, what does a producer or a musician look like in 20 years from now? Because it's not gonna be a boys club, it's not gonna be, as sexist or homophobic in certain ways, right. and the last thing you want to do, because we said we're always meeting people, always planting seeds. You don't want to burn bridges. The last thing you want to do is present yourself as something that's not inclusive or positive. And then, like you said, that person you spoke to on the phone for the Kardashians, you know, that person at the, you know, could be a marginalized person because of their sexual orientation, and now has that swanky job, and they'll be like, oh, but yeah, but you know, the type of person you are just isn't good enough. So. As much as I'm encouraging people to be a good person, there's very literal binary benefits to it, other than you know sleeping better at night. And I'm, I'm telling you, it's going to be a very quick change. You know, the way that we feel, you know, we're not getting a shot in certain ways. We're we're going to get preference, and it's or it's going to feel like it. Or really, it's going to just be more of a playing field battle. So, as much as we're looking at it as like-minded people or creative people, also I would say look at it from the opposite way. Look at it as, you know. Like, I, I play in rock bands as well. You know, I don't listen to as much rock as I do hip-hop or jazz, but leading to that has taught me a lot about, oh, I really like how delays and psych rock guitars are used. I like Travis Scott, and you start to realize, oh, Travis Scott's autotune is different because of the delays. It's like a psych guitar. And then suddenly, boom, I want to do weird psych rock things with my sax on a trap song. That's... I like, you know, what, I like what I'm hearing. You, you know, but it's, like, <laughs> but it's like, but that's... And, and all of that yeah. started with the, you know, how do I improve myself spiritually or how do I give back yeah. because what started with with my my friends younger brother's friends was you know like when I started producing I used to bother Warren all the time <laughs> hey what's the deal with that or you know hey can you come record sax and he turns into hey what are you doing with drums oh what's that reverb oh what's, you know, what, do you, like, what are you doing on your master track like, what this, are these compressions is this a sax session or is this a master class on how to be a producer you know exactly and then and then you and then you get into situations where it's like Okay, now I'm in a session with a producer that doesn't know how to produce a sax play. He's like, oh, I want some sax stuff. And it's like, okay, I know musically that the right thing to do here. But I know he doesn't know how to mic me. I know he doesn't know how to mix it properly in terms of me sounding a certain way. And it's like, I want to protect my sound. So I'm good. And also, I wouldn't be here if I didn't want the record to be as best as possible. 
So now I'm going to produce, I'm going to put all these production skills into this saxophone session. But it's really, it's what Warren taught me. I'm helping someone else make their record better. But I'm just here to play sax. So I would say, <clears throat> always approach it with how can I help because eventually you'll get to a point where it's just, you know, I feel it more so as a responsibility to pay for it. I can, I could write down 20 people that, oh, you know, Grand Analog put me on my first plane. Like I, I wasn't on, I'd never been on a plane before that or this person. That's a true story. Yeah, sure, sure. Things are connected so that way when I, I, I can have the confidence to tell someone when they're 18 years old it's like oh yeah I've only, I've only written two songs I'm like that doesn't matter you're a better songwriter than someone I know that's twice your age the only difference is you don't have the confidence I'm here to just give, like Today is just about confidence, you know? Sometimes it's, hey, this beat is great, you just need to mute this, or... Well, and sometimes just putting the work in and just yeah. putting it out, or like, you know, putting it online, putting it on SoundCloud, yeah. like, yeah. that is literally, like, part of the process. Yeah. It doesn't have to be always. This is a song about survival. A song about survival, y'all. Now don't you worry about a thing. We move along the line that it rain. Baby, hold on. The thick of the storm, the thin of the string. My fam about to blow. Camouflage it in green. Healing colors. We go for gold and purple that bleeds. Paper chase go hard like paper mache. I'm coming back from black. Survive the bad place. We paid. New bricks, new shoes, hoodies. I figure no scientist can bring you yesterday's bliss. So we ride on with the rocket launcher tied on. I'm coming heavy, heavy, heavy like a truck. Storm. Be warned when too late. The weak up dreaded like Rasta. Feel the surge and shot blocking the vodka. Oh, we got each other now to think and save us. Yeah. Making noise enough to wake the neighbors. Yeah. Love it or hate it, I'ma live it in the worst way. Celebrating and it ain't even my birthday. What you think this is? Yeah. Yellow on my neck. Go. Name is on my wrist. Go. Name is in her mouth. Toothpaste. Go and ask your chick. Ask me. I'm the prettiest. Sexy. Rapper on my strip. I am. What's our president? Yeah. What's the road major? It feels like home. Yeah. Family with my neighbors. Couldn't buy lunch. Asking lames for some favors. Bro. Now I could buy three meals a day forever to my graveyard. Yeah. Where the labels at? I could send them back. Look at what I've done. If the paper whack, take the paper back. Correct. Percentages. I just made a rack. Feel like more than that. Splurge day. Wildin' out trick like it's my birthday. Okay. Romantic, got more antics still. A quest for a better manifest and chill. Summer breeze, look at me, eating cantaloupe under canopies. I found my freak fantasy and good energy. Ah. Hopeless romantic, got more antics still. A quest for a better manifest and chill. Love it or hate it, I live it in the worst way. We celebrating, it ain't even my birthday. Right on. Right on. Oh my.
What you just heard there was an interview with Grand Analog, so thank you very much for stopping by Studio 393. Uh, the last track was Ride On, which was produced by Toolman, which loves Winnipeg, uh, of A Tribe Called Red, as well as a feature from Claremont II. Claremont II's new record is actually out at this moment, so you could go check that out um, and his catalog in any one of your streaming services. It is Black History Month, so there is a special event that's going to be happening, which is the Prairie, uh, the Afro Prairie uh, Film Festival, which is amazing. Uh, that's going to be happening on the 21st to 24th of February. So please go check that out at Cinematheque. 22 films are going to be showing. Uh, beautiful. We're going to get into a track by Jimmy, uh, the Jamster, Millionaire, on 101.5 UMFM. Yeah. Everybody, if you want to party all night long and have fun, this is the song to jam to. Alright? <laughs> yeah. Okay, here it is. Yo, yo, yo. Yo, yo, everybody, you are spinning like tops I am sick and tired, hearing sirens and cops This is the same damn way with the ambulance If you wanna party, everybody only dance Me and my grandma are money hungry, only poor We are very tired, going to the pawn store We play the lottery, it's only our try If we win, I shop a lot at Best Buy We will win someday, not the word Yo, when I rap to you, this is very clever You know people, I write a lot at night You know my lyrics is truly what I write Everybody, everybody, you can be a millionaire Everybody, everybody, you can be a millionaire You can shop till you drop like a millionaire You can shop till you drop like a millionaire Hit the lottery to be a millionaire Be cool, be rich like a millionaire I got this pencil, I write a lot too late I wrote my rhymes in every single way Once in a while we have no food to eat When we get cold, we barely have heat We talk to a friend that we know on the street With no love with us, that is incomplete I got two sisters drinking, doing drugs They always want money, there are stupid bugs I believe in myself, I need no hope, we know the red ring is truly the Pope. I am very cool, truly cool from afar. I want to be a millionaire and a superstar. Everybody, everybody, you can be a millionaire. Everybody, everybody, you can be a millionaire. You can shop till you drop like a millionaire. You can shop till you drop like a millionaire. Hit the lottery to be a millionaire. Be cool, be rich like a millionaire. You in a bonus coverage of This is 393 on 101.5 UMFM. Please remember that you can go and catch us in Studio 393, where we have workshops in dance, visual arts, podcasting, music workshops, production and beats, great instructors and a great environment for you to come down for youth anywhere from 15 to about 28 years old. So please come down. It is for free. Uh, We're going to get into this interview with Shades. 
uh, formerly known as Shades of Black. They're celebrating the 20th anniversary of their album Comprehension. Uh, they were on Peanuts and Corn, then went on Slow Coach, Herbnet, uh, as well as Len Bowen is now solo artist. Emerson, aka Eclipse, has gone on to become uh, entrepreneur. You can catch him with this clothing brand, YWG204, as well as Black Prairie Boys and Black Prairie Girls. So sit back, relax, and listen to another one of the cornerstones of Winnipeg Rap on 101.5 UMFM. Shad plays on Friday at the Goodwill as well. Thanks for listening. Okay, so we are sitting here with Shades, aka Different Shades of Black, a <laughs> uh, group that came from Winnipeg, Manitoba in the mid to early 90s. Uh, members of the group right now, as is the core members, were Chris, aka Casino, Len Bowen. What was your name then at, at that point, man? Len Scotch. It was Scotch. It was Scotch or Chaos. It was Scotch. Okay. Was Scotch. And then Scotch. we got. There's an acronym. Emerson, aka. You say aka is a boss. Well, what was Scotch an acronym? For? Yeah, what was. Styles creating out of hand, terrifying concepts. Uh, <laughs> How long did it take you to come up with that? I was just in the. That was what it like was that. back then. Yeah. Shades was with an S that was superhuman ability demonstrated every second. Oh, you said that? Uh, yeah. yeah. That was like a lot of big dedicated. Yeah. 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 That, was, that yeah. was one of the guys, you know, you yeah. looked up to. Came. Long or Kane. Or KRS, man. Kane, KRS, or uh, who we got there? Rakim. Rakim. Rakim, Rakim? Kane for me. Kane for me. Kane was the dude. They all meant something to me at different times. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a, when yeah. I first heard Rakim, I was like, there's, I didn't think there could be anyone nicer than Rakim. And then and I started really feeling Big Daddy Kane, and, and he just took it. Like, he, he was one of those old school guys at the time to be able to come in at a new school time and hold it down. Yeah. And the KRS one, it was like, you just felt stupid if you weren't feeling KRS. So, it was like, they all meant something at different times and different stages. Yo, which, uh, who would you say had the most impact in making you guys want to actually rap? Well, I can tell you, LL Cool J. That oh, Lord, you serious? <laughs> LL Cool J, that. Wow. LL Cool J, that. LL Cool J Radio. Yeah. That, that album. Cool J, that. That and salt and pepper, hot, cool, vicious were only the things that, like, my parents actually went out. I said I wanted this, and they got it for me. And it's like first exposure back then. There was like video hits, and you're doing them. And then we eventually got Yo MTV raps. Yeah. But and then I had like cousins who go visit other family in New York, and they brought back like Long Live the Kane, um, yeah. MC Lightheart is a rock. Oh, yeah. Um, Biz Marquee, rhyming with Biz, EPMD, Strictly Business, Heavy D, Big Time. That was like, yeah. Outside of that, LL Salt and Pepper. That was that was the shit that made just flows and inflictions and subject matter content and hearing about stuff that was way over our heads because we were just kids, you know. And Kane is talking about Five Percent Nation mm. and all of this shit. 
like I had to go back later and listen to yeah. half of that stuff as an adult mm. to really take in half of it. You're just you're hearing a beat, you're hearing flows, and you're making sense out of half one tenth of what you're hearing. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, you couldn't even understand the slang. You didn't even realize it was, it was a slang that they were using. Sometimes you just you just didn't get it. It just sounded good. And then yeah, as you got older, you were able to go back and it made way more sense. Yeah, I think like I'm I'm younger than you guys, yeah. so like one of the first groups I got into was Wu Tang and right. like the Thirty Six Chamber skits. I had no idea what the hell they were <laughs> yeah. talking about. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> or or, or the skits on uh, Only Built for Cuban Links. It's right. like it took me so long to even realize he was talking about dying shoes. I didn't. Even <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know what? I don't think those guys really cared that anyone really no. didn't no. get yeah. it, man. Like that was what was so. They just didn't care. They just didn't yeah. care. They were so, they were like a planet of their it's own, man. It was like catch on or don't, but. Yeah, you think that it. was their attitude? Just, you, you catch on or you don't? Oh, yeah. Or is it, they, or was it New York superiority? New York is what we do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Beyond yeah. what we're doing. Yeah. we're talking about, yeah. At that time, it was definitely a, a dictatorship versus a democracy. <laughs> like, they spoke their own language. They say New York is a planet. They didn't care. They yeah. they ran it, and that's what it was at that point. I didn't understand no. Ghostface. Yeah. No. <laughs> you, like, you, you liked Ghostface, huh? I liked Ghost, but I didn't understand what he was saying. What was the deal with this? Like, like, how can you like somebody that you don't even know I think it was just the, the flow, the way he yeah. It's pretty he interesting. Had he just had, yeah. Yeah. It's, like, it's yeah. just the way it was. Like, nobody never been, saw his face. Exactly. No. no one knew what Ghost looked like for for like maybe a year after they dropped all you saw yeah. was the stocking over the face yeah. right so that alone no just hearing old dirty for the first time picture of hearing old dirty bastard on protect your neck and mm. you have no idea what this guy looks like he sounds he doesn't even sound like a human being like <laughs> you know what i mean you finally get the visual to what you're hearing and it's like it's a mental high like stimulation yeah. like wow Going on Old Dirty, Ghostface, Rakim, and uh, just n different New York language, regionalism. How did uh, how'd you gravitate towards whatever style that you decided to do then? I didn't really have an opinion as far as that went until I started rapping. Okay. And that's, and that's when I formed an opinion. But um, any rapper, no matter who you are, no matter how good you are or or how far you've taken it it takes a while to be comfortable in your own skin True. so you so you hear a bunch of you're like a you're like a shell and you're hearing all these rappers and you're you're admiring them and it feels surreal like like I can't do it as well as them but I'd like to what I did when I first started is I used to take people's rhymes and rewrite them and, yeah. and mm -hmm. rewrite and rewrite like like the, I'd flip it like mixtape, and that's before anybody even like heard of mixtapes. Like I'd take a LL song or a third bass third song. Step into I, the AM. I did. They <laughs> did step into the AM. I did step into the FM, and I rewrote that shit. Mm. You know what I mean? And then you start writing your own stuff, and you sound like this person, that person, and you get to the point where you're kind of comfortable in your own skin, and you're inspired by people, but you lose the influence where. You know what you were listening to when you wrote it, but you make sure it's you. Yeah. When was the first time that you, can you remember one of the first times you realized, hey, this is my rap, like, this is actually my voice talking right here, and you were I, proud of it. I wrote a song called Keep a Tight Grip. Okay. And um, back then, State of Mind, we were kind of under their wing, 
and um and they would give us tell me about state of mind time. tell us about state of mind chris knight um jason and jeff pinder um, oh, wow. and shell and, and commander came along later um we were kids and they were an established rap group um yeah. back then it was them hard edge posse um Two death crew. With these guys, would these guys like play shows? Like, yeah, would yeah. they play shows? At? The, these guys would play at like the rendezvous. They they play at other venues. I can't remember. Wait, they would play at whispers. Yeah, You'd have like folk around or or black around Really, they'd be yeah, like, black yeah, around. Like or so they did their own shows. They would do their own shows. Continental, a lot of shows at the Continental. On McPhillips. Oh, right, right, yeah. Strip joint is right, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Apparently, I've never been there. Right, yeah. <laughs> you know, trust, yeah. trust. Yeah. Yeah. So Anyways, those so. guys would give us studio time, and you know, go in there. We'd rap over other people's beats. Nobody had original beats back then. Back then, people were using um, what's that? That um, uh, it's not the Akai. It was before that. The uh, um, for the MPC. The the four. What is something to do with four? So like it's like they would record like a four track, four, four track or yeah. whatever. Yeah. Okay, so, whatever. you know, you'd go in, they'd record you, you know, they give you your instrumental, let you open up for them. Like someone would have like a four track set up yeah. at their place or something. Yeah. 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 Okay. Who'd be the person usually with it? They go by. They they had engineers. We honestly we weren't even really paying attention, man. Okay, we were yeah. just sort of we're there. They're like record, do your thing. They'd let us open up, you know, and and we'd get some exposure. We'd get our pro, and it was all about pro. Were you guys were you guys shades at that time? Different shades of black. We West Side Posse. We were like <laughs> the West Side Posse because he lived in the West End, but I lived in East. Bigs is from the West End as, as well. Yo, didn't you live in the same building as Al at one point? Mm-hmm. Uh, Lord, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we lived in. It was, it was me. Uh, what did JT go by back then? Um, anyway, one of the guys from Pot of Black he used to live there too. So yeah, so we, we used to be. <laughs> <laughs> we used to be. Yeah, man. We used to be up in. That was over on one ninety five. Young man, that was. That was a. Uh, I wouldn't even roll by that spot now. <laughs> different times, man. Yeah, yeah. We yeah. Lord used to live like I think. Used to live above me. Yeah, man. So how did you guys all like get together and start rapping? Me and Big's known each other since like we were like five or six years old. Yeah, okay. Our moms knew each other, and um, I met uh, Bad Manners when we were like thirteen. So we all grew up together, and and it wasn't like it was really organic. We were just kids, and you know we'd see each other at things and hang out. You know, rap came in and it was the thing, and and I just liked doing it. You know, these guys were dancers at first and yeah. and and I was the rapper and there was another dude at the time um, V who was part of the group me and him were like the head rappers and we had um, like maybe five or six other dudes in the crew who were like dancers and then when dancing was getting to the point where it wasn't like you know the thing to do you know people wanted to rap like early 90s kind of stuff yeah, yeah so bad manners is always freestyling you know, Biggs yeah, got into the rhyme and thing. <laughs> I mean, like couldn't couldn't yeah. couldn't memorize a verse, no, but he's like that dude. Yeah. <laughs> you know, freestyle like on the track, like we're in the studio about to record, and it's his turn, and it's a freestyle. Right. You hmm. know what I mean? And go back and memorize that freestyle. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, Yo, uh, talking about 
the the dancers at that time. Um, I just want to put into perspective for the listener that at, in Winnipeg at that time, Freak Show, there they were dancers at that yeah, moment too, right? Yeah. Most of the hip-hop crews at the moment that were about to rap uh, come from dancing, dancing, right? Yeah. Yeah. Do, do you know why that was, necessarily? That was, it was just, it was more natural to be able to do that, right? And, then, and, and honestly, that was where the shine really was, right? Mm. It was like everybody knew who Big Daddy Kane was, but you also knew who Scoop and Scrap was. Scoop and Scrap was. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, like, sure, you sure. knew that, right? Yeah. So it was like you got a lot of love by being able to go out there and put put it down if you were dancing. I remember guys, like, getting hot if they were like, don't wash my feet. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, that's a true thing. Yeah. Dancing was bigger than rapping back then. Oh, you didn't watch him dance. Uh, who's, what's his name? What's his name right now? Um, he's rapping uh, Christian rap. Oh, fresh, fresh eye. Fresh eye. Fresh eye. One of those dudes. Yeah, yeah he was a he good dancer. Yeah. Don't wash my feet. <laughs> yeah. He was a good dancer. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He was skinny yeah. too. Yeah. There was, <laughs> <laughs> was this place on a region called Flipside, and okay. they used to have dance competitions, and you'd see Fresh Eye, you'd see Robbie Dose. Oh, Robbie Dose. State of Mind. Yeah, yeah. yeah, dancing was everything back then, and then all of those guys became rappers. Yeah. So, okay, um, going at uh, no Robbie Dose from, from good old Russell. Cause that's his cousin, but I also know him as he he's down with uh Delano, isn't he? Or yeah, yeah all, all of those guys. So connected. I'm saying, what was what was the impact of them on you guys? Cause I know you've given them props before, man. Well, they were they were all dancers, like Chubby D and, and Barfly were dancers, and and it goes back to Flipside. All of those guys used to battle each other, and they'd get tied over. You looking at people's feet when they were dancing because that's where the move. It, wow starts from so if someone's doing a move and you're studying their feet they know you're about to bite their shit and that would lead to fights so it was, how, how it was like West Side Story <laughs> <laughs> all the time every week after the club in the club and just people, people people would get knocked out over that shit wow. so so um so yeah those guys like they got into the rapping and uh I looked up to them they're my cousins so mm. You know, they, they brought back the records and I wanted to be down as a kid. They wouldn't let me be down, but I was doing my own thing. I had my own friends. Mm. So we all did our own thing until it got to the point where they're like, okay. And when we got older and it was like time to pick up the mic and start rapping, <clears throat> Chubby especially would keep us like in, in check. Always, yeah. man. Yeah. Because like it's easy to uh, to get caught up and being like, um, and just kind of forgetting kind of what keeps you keeps you nice you know what I mean mm. so sometimes guys will start writing and they come up with like one what they think is a dope verse but in reality it might have been like two or three lines mm. Chubby wouldn't let that slide man he'd be like yeah you had one line that was halfway nice <laughs> so you better come correct like he was never he was like he was like Jesus Shuttleworth's dad there from above the rim. Oh, yeah, like you were yeah, he wasn't yeah. gonna let anything slide so shows anything we did. none of that none yeah, of yeah, shows none so was of that. he always up on the corner like on the on the, the wall just listening to what was going they, on kind of thing they never gas us they'd yeah. always like downplay anything we did like yeah. but it was for the did you it, you felt it was for the betterment of you oh yeah it was oh, never it was like for, you, you never took it personal you never took it personal because you needed that uh that, that reality check because otherwise sometimes you can just get complacent and then just stay where you are or start feeling yourself and that was never going to be mm. a good idea right mm. and then there's other people who were like critics like literally you, you know you someone would do a review on your music or whatever 
And sometimes just because everybody else was feeling you, they would just have to knock you. Mm. So it was like you started to learn you couldn't listen to everything. Yeah. But Chubby and, and BK, all the EK, mm. all the Maple, those guys would never, they never lied to us, man. Even though they were your boys, they weren't going to ever be like, yeah. Okay, yeah there were no yes men. No, there were no yes men. We went to the point where we were like, what, out of this album you hear, which, which one should we release as a single? We would, we would you know, hmm. between us and the team, we would still come out and talk to those guys and they would say, well, maybe you should try this because this would be a good idea. Hmm. And, you know, sometimes you learn that wasn't the smartest thing to do, but you always, we would always stay true to what we thought was our core. They were doing it before us is what the bottom line is. So, mm. and even when it came to dancing, like those guys were not, these guys were nice dancing, but it was like, you know, sometimes when you have a kid who he's into something and he thinks he knows everything and it's kind of like he's calling, he's saying something the wrong way, like calling a move the wrong thing or he's doing a move half-ass and it's like, they'd call you on that. You think you knew the worm or you yeah, think, yeah. and they'd be like, you're not doing it exactly right. And then they demonstrate and you realize, you know, okay. you think you're doing it, but you're half-assing because it's easier to do it the way you're ah, doing it. And they, okay. would, and they would correct you and be like, okay. And you do it and you almost break your back trying to do it, but you finally got <laughs> it right, right until yeah. you do it enough and it's easy. And you'd be like, now you're doing it. All right, <laughs> okay. now you're doing it right. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's funny we're having a discussion about dancing, but the best dancers were... Uh, Freak show, like Sunil. Yeah, Neil, speaking of those guys, they were so creative. Yeah, yeah. before they're rapping, they were mm. yeah. their creativity. Good, when you, what people would see them do as a show as as rappers was quite creative, but it wasn't like how it was when they were dancing. So where would you see the guys dancing? Like just Casablanca, like you know, socials, socials yeah. and stuff. Continental. Like oh, yeah. they, just, they wouldn't have like routines. They would just be oh, no, yeah, but they had routines. They come to the socials and do routines. Yeah, yeah. It was Showtime. Yo, <laughs> was it, uh, how old was everyone at that point? Like, was it that everyone was too old to get or too young to get way to the too club? young to get to the club? Way too, yeah, yeah. yeah. and the, the clubs are like how they are now, right? Like Tad parties. The clubs back then, they wouldn't be having like a full out hip hop night. Yeah, they just it was too. It just wasn't. It wasn't happening yet, right? So you got to think like back at that time, um, hip hop wasn't anywhere near like how it is now. Yeah, it wasn't no. so mainstream, right? Like mm. you, you weren't having. Acts come in on a regular basis, whether they were Canadian or not. It just wasn't. It wasn't happening. Did you feel like you were in a fight to basically get the music uh, out there, not just for you to be recognized, but for the oh, yeah. music to actually be recognized? Period. And, and just period. Like yeah. it was a tug of war all constantly. Time. But you know who was really trying to pull for it, honestly? Uh, yeah. DJ Bunny and all those guys oh, yeah, on okay. Channel yeah. Eleven, and they always tried. They even pushed us. They always come out. Talk about Bunny. Talk about Bunny. Bunny, I, he's the foundation, I think. Bunny, Bunny was the first guy I ever seen in Winnipeg rap, like wow. rap, okay. like like my dad had a my dad had a cassette of of Bunny saying some rhyme, and back then that shit was like mind blowing, like to, <laughs> to hear that shit. Someone in the city that you know personally do that stuff in. He was, you know, on on Channel Eleven, cutting and and going back and forth, and him and Alibaba, and um and you know all those guys stayed interviewed. They had State of Mind on there when they were popping, you know, and um, you know, it was it was a different attitude. There wasn't maybe because we were kids, you know, but they they really everybody took us under 
uh, the wing. Like we're all West Indians. Everyone was either Bajan, Jamaican or Trini or, you know, Guyanese. And it was like a fa somebody knew somebody's uncle or dad mm. or cousin. So there was no attitude. Maybe amongst their peers, they were the same age. But mm. it was kind of like, yo, that's so-and-so's cousin. All right, put him on. Mm. Like give, mm. him his, give him his shine. And it, and it was like, even as far as your peers, it was more of a brotherhood back then. There was no attitude. Like it was like you just wanted to hear somebody else rhyme, and especially a dude you never met in your life that mm. you finally just bucked upon because you're all into the same thing. Yeah, it was like okay, wow, he can rap or he can do this, and you were just immediately friends. You kept in touch out of that. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So it was a whole different. Like now, it's it's so. Yo, I'm from Central. I'm from I'm from the West End. I'm from Fort Rouge. I'm from Saint Vitale. I'm from EK. I'm from Trans Corner, and and um, you you hear the influences, you know, outside, like on a on a bigger scale, and and um, and nobody's friends. There's a there's there's an immediate um, just disconnection and. And um, and all mm. this preconceived shit in your head about someone you've never met in your life, you know, it's just music. Mm. It's it's it's. I understand. I get it at the same time because you take it that serious, and and it, it's the competitive nature of the art form. But at the end of the day, it's it's you just gotta look at it like, yo, it's it's music. If you're trying to do it like us, after a while, when you know you grow up and you're like, okay, I, I think we can take it to the next level. Let's start doing this, that, and the third. But you, you you're saying this now, but back then, did you see it that way? I never did. You, did you, like, if you can recall, I feel like people put me in a position, put the group in a position. Okay. Like people started these rivalries. Like, yo, he's the best. No, that crew's the best. This the best. We never thought about it like that. Is, is that was a regular. Right it was like that. I remember there was like a shift. I remember there was a time where guys who started rapping potentially later would show up to the shows and just enjoy the show, right? Mm -hmm. And then a time happened where it was like everybody in the crowd was a rapper. And it was ridiculous. And it was yeah. like everybody would sit there to the speaker and listen to just exactly listen what to you're saying. saying. And in a way, it was kind of dope because you knew you had to come correct. But then mm -hmm. it started to shift, man. Once... once uh, People started seeing that you could have a video on much music. Then it all changed, man. Everything changed where it was like, now I refuse to look. Like it was like they felt like they were softer looking up to you in some kind of ways, right? So it was like, no, 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 no. Now I have to see you as direct competition. And in reality, rap is kind of like, um, it's almost like golf. You're not really competing against anybody. You're you competing against yourself, right? Yeah. yeah. So whether you think, if this guy thinks I'm the dopest rapper and the next guy doesn't, it doesn't really make a difference. You've got to be able to build yourself and build your brand to be able to get to that point anyway. Did, um, but that, that comes with a lot of self-awareness though. I mean, as, as young people, sometimes you won't have that self-awareness and that, that confidence. You don't. Right? And you just come out trying to blaze and fight everybody that's right in front of you. But if you don't understand what winning that fight's really going to mean, you're, you're really doing it for nothing. And I remember times where it was like, like, I don't know if you guys knew about the Mood Ref and Freak Show, like clash that they would have. Okay. People were dying to try to drag us into that. I didn't like, like what kind of stuff would go on? With, like, I, I know a little bit about it, but like they had like, it was like at that time everybody was scratching to get to some point, right? So, so what like what was this around like when the Patience video dropped, or was this yeah. before that? That video that changed everything, everything. Yeah. because they were the first ones to get national <clears throat> exposure out of the city. 
like going back to what I said before, people enjoy doing it because everybody embraced everybody. If you're a dope, everyone was giving you that. I remember when I met um, a lot of the core guys of Freak Show, like Sunil and, and Sheldon, um, it was love, man. They never met me before, but we were all into the same thing and people just stayed in touch. But once they stopped, they never stopped dancing. It was all, that was like the, the foundation of what they were. And it evolved into rhyming and they got on national television. They were doing showcases. They always, they did the same thing as everybody else locally. You know, they, they put on their own parties. They, they play this, this venue, that venue, but everybody's attitude changed. It was like everybody, they had egos, you know, and, um, you know, everybody else around them, it was kind of like they had, they were popular, they were running it. They were the first ones to do that. Mm. And um, and then Mood Rough did it. With the No Hooks video? Yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, and, you know, it, there was an automatic, there was automatic <laughs> friction between, between, between the camps for no, for no reason whatsoever. Were you guys putting out uh, like releases at this time, or are you yeah. just playing shows? Yeah, yeah, two records at that moment, right? Two, two cassettes. We had, we had, we had a cassette we put out on our own called True to the Art. Okay. And who, and were those over other people's beats, or were those? That were was you, rock, right? Um, no, well. I can't I like true to the art. I think I was I was yeah, chopping up <laughs> I was chopping up stuff off. Um, I was taking like little pieces off um, cassettes of like break beats, and we'd go into the studio. This guy named Tony Luckman. He had a studio called LRN, and they were responsible for uh, signing State of Mind. So, anyways, we'd go in there and chop up beats. We had a song called The Madness. And I that that song I brought up earlier, the keep a tight grip with the singles, and we just rock over anybody's beats back then, and that was enough for people. Who's in the posse then, man? It was huge. Um, it was. It was, was, was that new crop? Was that like was any black new person? Crop right that, that was. <laughs> yeah. That was the beginning of it. There was a yeah, guy named Marvelous who, Michael, yeah. Michael yeah. he ended up moving away to, to Ontario, but yeah, he he uh, he used to dance at the same thing, and then. He started rapping around the same time I think that I did. So uh, at that time, it was really just the three of us. But it was a team of guys. But there were guys with us who yeah, were rapping. Like, uh, just but as far as like business, we were the ones really starting to um, take it take it seriously. And um, yeah, we were doing our own thing. And Mood Ruffs, Mood Ruff, they actually started rapping after us, but. They were business minded and they and they took it further really quick, mm. like rapidly. They just knew how to get sponsors and just mm. knew how to talk to people. Mm. You know what yeah. I mean? And and um, we were doing our own thing. They hooked up with uh, uh, Rod Bailey. Mm. And, yeah, and um, and things were going well. I met Rod by accident. I bought the Craig Mack um, album, and was that the accident? I was waiting for a bus and I had these big headphones on and he was waiting for a bus and he could hear it and he, he just started talking to me and he was asking me what I think and I was like it's cool or whatever and then um, I, I, I found out later who he was and um, I came to him and I said yo I got a bunch of guys we're trying to do something 
and um, I'm looking for some original beats. I, I got the Space EP, oh, you know, okay. and that tripped me out because he produced this shit off in the Kai all by himself, yeah. and he was, and I went and hung out with him, and he was like playing bass, and I met Tyler and Pat, and um, you know these these guys from Brad, they're all older than us, mm. right? And um, and um, I I kind of worked something out with him for us, but um, Mood Rough encouraged us because they were already uh, messing with Rod. They were on Peanuts and Corn, and they said he'll do a good job for you, but it it it's it's probably better for you guys. He'll do a great job if you if you join the label or whatever. And uh, we joined and we put out Next School Pioneers. Okay. You know, so, um, yeah, and after that, it was just, you know, there was Freak Show, Twisted Spirits, um, I don't know who, what else. There, but basically, it all became Freak Show eventually. But it was this Mahler, Gruff, and um, Spoof okay. that were Twisted Spirits, and that was kind of like Freak Show's click, and they all became Freak Show. And, and then there was Peanuts Corn, mm. Peanut, the original Peanuts and Corn roster, which was Bomb Fresh, Mood Rough, and The Shades. Okay. And um, and there was friction for no reason. Like we knew everybody before that. We didn't care. We just did our thing. And you know, people, are, oh, he's the best. Or you got, you guys think you're the best? Or just, you know what I mean? And and you know, you're a kid and you get caught up in whatever. <laughs> why, why do you think people cared so much, man? What, did you care as much? Or was it just the people outside? It was the outside. I think people wanted to see how it would have been seeing the shades in a battle mm. of some, to some mm. degree. And in my mind, it's, it's no different now than it was at that time. I just refused to, to get into a war of words with somebody unless it was going to be something physical. That's, that's everything. Unless it's not, it's not, not even hip-hop. Like, that's like, just oh, everything. Just wait, just wait. <laughs> unless it was going to become something physical. If it wasn't going to be something physical, I wasn't going to just... <laughs> I would never insult somebody um, unless I had full intentions of fighting that person. Carbolone in the mouth? Yeah, exactly. The carbolone <laughs> in the mouth. That's what's going to give you that elbow. Yeah, to me, it didn't really make a whole lot of sense. And I thought that it was just going to be a big pretend show for, really for nothing. I didn't. There was nobody that, that I knew of that was calling me out in any, okay. any kind of ways. So why would I try to have some imaginary beat because somebody wanted to see it so right. circus for somebody else's benefit yeah. kind of thing yeah. we go to the club guys come up to us our crew's better remember that yeah just watch things I mean, just to get it started but we did I'd be like Walter that's good man that's good thing. Thing. <laughs> <laughs> congratulations yeah. we're doing our own thing don't yeah, watch yeah. us do you yeah. go, go back to, to Emerson here um, Emerson you said we're gonna that play a song pretty soon uh, yeah we do <laughs> I mean we could play Taylor Made right Yep. Taylor Maid's off for the first one there. Next school. Yo, this is Mr. Chris, Mr. Chris. Representing different shades on my solo beat. Taylor Maid, check this out. Speed to clap. First session or part one, whatever. Forever clever. To stay cool just like the weather. True to the art is how I choose to stay. And the shade's been that way from since the early days. Now we're on the next level, the mic devil. Takes control of your soul and makes you travel. With my raw techniques, my style freaks. Brings you to your knees and makes you prove the seat. To exist when I rap like this. Pay homage to the shades, now you walk my list. Of weak MCs on the knees when the new props be chopping down all the fake weed. When I release my heat, it knocks you off your feet and make you prove the tree. Stay on point and make sure that I never fade. 
I'm Taylor May. I'm coming off like an amateur. We can't hear your concepts are endless. You must be tired and restless if you want to mess with the shades that's playing skills. Taylor May. Coming off like an amateur. We can't hear your concepts are endless. You must be tired and restless if you want to mess with the shades that's playing skills. Taylor May. That was the first of us. And we got first two. Y'all admit that was the flyest ass we all ever done. And I'll be representing famous players, bringing the heat, but we ain't sweating. Other peaks, other PNC plays for keeps, can't drown by my style, cause my flow suits it. For all you MCs, you know who love to follow. You nothing but the cum shot, your mama should the swallow. Ain't a bad man, but stepping from the badlands. Come with disrespect, I smack you out with my bad hand. That's my left, check my one, two step. And my crew smokes you herbs like a bag of sex. Check the powers I possess if you flex on the crew. Underground is where you rest. Never claim to be a hardcore G. But no one can test to see your char against the IE. When I be rapping your ass, I'll be waxing. Then I grab the mic, yeah, every time for some action. Don't need for disrespect, I smack you in your mouth. Enough love to find friends from Mr. Chris, now I'm out. Word, 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 word. I want to give respect to those who deserve it. And if you don't deserve it, don't like you never heard it. No true, you get murdered. I wanna give enough love to PNC production for making this function. Enough love to new props. They got the mad props. For all the true heads, stay real. Stay true to the heart. That way you never.